So we're wrapping up the series that we began on the Passover. Uh, we began our journey on the Passover with the great Exodus. Um, in the book of Exodus, when they were preparing for the final leaving, the Exodus from from Egypt, and the very first Passover, we talked about the first Passover. The first Passover was instituted by the Lord himself, and he says, you're going to eat it standing up, you're going to prepare for it, and you're going to start on the 10th day of the month. You're going to choose a lamb, a spotless lamb, and you're going to put it in a separate cage, you're going to keep an eye on it. You're going to watch it and make sure that you didn't miss a single blemish, a single mark, until the 14th day of that month. Okay? And on the 14th day of that month, you're going to sacrifice that lamb. You're going to take the blood and you're going to put it over the doorposts of your house, which is the way, the only way that you will protect your family you and your, all the people in your household, you will protect them from the judgment that's coming that very night. The Passover was that, okay? And so the judgment was the death angel would come over in judgment on those who did not have the blood over their doorposts, and he would take the firstborn of every single household, okay? And all those in Egypt who did not believe... And did not put the door, uh, put the blood over the doorpost, they would be subject to this judgment. All of this to point to something coming. You understand the entire Old Testament is a picture and a message saying someone is coming. That's the whole Old Testament rolled up into one sentence someone is coming. Pay attention, okay? And so Passover is the very same thing. And then we see as time marches on, we watch as they celebrate the Passover, all right? And they are told to celebrate it, and we see it's forgotten about. Until one day, and I know that both the adult class and the teen class has gone through the book of Joshua, and as Joshua crosses over into the promised land, the very first thing that gets reinstituted is Passover. They had not celebrated Passover. That entire generation before had not celebrated as they were in the wilderness. And so when they go back in, you are going to do this. Passover is important. You're going to begin to celebrate this. Okay? And they celebrated, of course, with that very same thing on the 10th day. Going to the 14th day, they choose out the lamb, and they take the lamb, and there's special instructions of how to take care of that lamb and how to cook that lamb and other things that are with it, such as bitter herbs and, and things like that. And, of course, they celebrate Passover, and as it is humankind, as time moves on, we take what was meant to be an incredible and an amazing experience, and we make it full of form and ceremony, and we forget the purpose behind it, and we just go through the motions, 
as humans do, and then we forget altogether. And we watch as the Jewish nation lives in the promised land, and slowly they forget, and slowly it goes away. Until finally it's just gone. And then King Hezekiah comes and brings it back. And then under King Josiah, we see as it is celebrated in a way that had never been celebrated before. An amazing and incredible way, the biggest one. And he institutes it, reinstitutes it, and they continue to follow it until the day that Jesus walks on the scene. And when Jesus walks on the scene, he himself on Palm Sunday, the 10th day of the month, goes into Jerusalem in a way that he is on full public display as he'd never been before. He does it on purpose because he is the Lamb of God, walking to the temple, going and showing all that he is. He teaches each of those days, the 10th, after he's come into Jerusalem, the 10th, the 11th, 12th, 13th, and finally the 14th day of that month, and he is delivered to be killed, sacrificed. All right? I told you, the Old Testament was a picture saying someone's coming, and so all of a sudden, the Lamb of God, here he is. All right? So we followed Passover all the way through, and that very night that is Jesus' last day on earth, okay, just understanding that the Jewish day does not begin in the morning, the Jewish day, as it does even to this very day, begins at sundown. Okay, so Jewish days and how they count their days is just a little different, still 24 hours in a day, but they begin their day at sundown. Okay, and so all the Jewish celebrations to this day begin at sundown of the evening before, and they begin all the way through to that day. So Jesus, of course, in that very last day is celebrating the Passover with his dearest, closest 12 friends on earth. And Jesus, after the first Passover, and after man forgets, okay, he comes down through, God revives it, and it's celebrated down through until Jesus is the Lamb of God. And Jesus himself celebrates it, and what he does is he says, I am making a new covenant. I'm coming to you with something brand new, which is not I'm wiping away everything that was done. It is I am fulfilling it. I'm giving you more understanding of what it was all about. I'm helping you to see there's something deeper that went on here. And so for all those years, as mankind celebrated and kind of dropped it and forgot and finally brought it back, Jesus comes in and in an amazing move with his disciples, he goes down to two simple elements. Two very simple elements, right? Two simple elements. And what are they? Bread and cup, okay? The bread and the cup. That's it. And he takes those very two simple elements, those whom people can get their hands on everywhere in the world, after that, and says, you are going to do this in remembrance of me. Because I'm, I'm the lamb. 
I'm going to die. And this bread, as simple as it is, whether it's a cracker that's broken up or a piece of bread, it doesn't matter. The point is, as we go and we take what we now call communion, he instituted this, the Lord's Supper, okay? Instituted the Lord's Supper in this very simple final act. And he has an intimate time with his disciples. He is close and in communion with them. Okay? And communion is simply spending very, very close, intimate sharing of thoughts together. That's what that means. Communion, that we call it today, or the Lord's Supper, is sharing intimate thoughts. And so with sharing intimate thoughts... He begins this new standard, this new testament, as we call it, the new covenant, a new promise. And with that conversation, which is a fascinating conversation, if you were to look in the book of John, the, the, all the way from the 13th chapter, all the way to the 17th chapter, is what Jesus told his closest friends on the last night of his life. It is worthy of reading and rereading and rereading. That is what Christ told his closest friends when he knew it was the very last time he would see them before he would die. All right? So he had full freedom to tell them anything. And though that chapter covers all kinds of things from heaven to the Holy Spirit and what he is about to go through. Now, they don't understand much of it. And even today, we go and read and reread and reread to really let it sink in what's happening. But that night, he institutes, he creates this monument by two simple things and says, Remember me. Now, just like if we have a friend who we love, just like if we have somebody in our life, we go to some of those things, we try to remember people, right? I have some photographs on my wall of both of my grandfathers. Um, they both had influence on who I was, who I am now, okay? One of them is a photograph of my grandfather about maybe a foot away from a wood duck coming out of a wood duck box. He's checking inside. It's what he did for a long time. means something special to me because he gave me a love of the outdoors and, and wildlife and things like that. And across from that same photograph is my grandfather with grease all over his face with a piston pulled out of an old steel-tired tractor. Okay? <laughs> uh, and... Those are two things in my life, and every time I look at those, I remember. I remember my grandfathers, I remember some of the things that make me up, and I appreciate that. I think back. There are things all the time that we do in our lives, I hope there are, where we recall someone who has gone on, or even someone who is far away from us. 
We might make a phone call to somebody just to hear their voice. Or we might go to a cemetery for someone who has passed on. We might have a, go to a favorite spot somewhere where they always went just to spend a moment to think about them and their influence that they had on us, who they were. This is all that Jesus is saying is take this bread and take this cup and remember me. Remember me. And so at the Lord's Supper or communion, we go to share intimate thoughts, some with each other, but our main focus of communion is to share our most intimate thoughts with God the things we don't want to share with anybody else about ourselves, To come clean on things, to confess to him and to stand before him. And that's what we're doing. All right? Now, Paul was not with them the night that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And yet we find that Paul gives us a great deal of insight to what it really means. Paul is, of course, a genius, but that's not why he's able to understand what the Lord's Supper is really about and why he writes it. All right? He is someone who encountered Christ directly. He calls himself an apostle. And I think that was where Jesus gave him that and said, You're going to have an encounter with me. I called you. You're called. You don't have a choice, Paul. You're coming with me. You can kick all you want. And remember, God blinded him. Jesus blinded him on the road to Damascus. And then he went off by himself for a while. And by himself was not by himself. You can bet that the Lord taught him many things and had direct encounters with him. And thus he has some different insight and we'll see some of that insight. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians as we look at the final piece of what Passover means to us. How it changed. goes to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. How it changed the way we think. How it fulfilled the Passover in the beginning. And what it's about for us today. All right? 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 We're going to start at verse number 20. Now, uh, this wisdom that he brings is in the book of Corinthians. And he's writing a letter to the, book of or to the church of Corinth because they've got problems. And they've got a lot of problems. And their people are fighting with each other. And they're arguing about things that are happening in the church. Paul's gone away moved on to help other churches, okay, and ultimately ends up in Rome. But while he's doing that, these little churches that he's planted are having some start-up struggles, some knock-down, drag-out fights about several things, and he's writing this to clear up what's happening. He said, you're going to follow the Lord's Supper. You're going to do the Lord's Supper. And they said, great, and we're going to have a fantastic time when we do it. All right, so let's look and see chapter number 11, 1 Corinthians, verse number 20. And when you come together, 
therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat in and to drink in? Or despise you the church of God and the shame, uh, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. All right, so very first thing that he says is, you guys are getting together, and you're having church suppers all the time. Now, that's not a bad thing. But what he is saying is, Fred over here is coming and bringing, he's got turkey legs and ice cream and all sorts of things. The next guy is coming in, he doesn't have much. But Fred makes sure he eats all his and gives none to the next guy. All right? And then some of you come and drink and do all sorts of things until you're drunk. So you got... Some people are starving, some people are eating too much, some people are drunk, and then, hey, let's go celebrate God's communion. This is not working for you. You're forgetting the major point of what this is about. Although it's an amazing time to remember, he says it's not like we're just having a big feast and a big party. Right? There's a purpose behind the Lord's Supper. And he says, you need to treat this with respect. You need to make sure that you take care when you do this. Make sure that you keep all of those other things a little separate. And that when you come to the Lord's Supper, or what we call again communion, right? when you come to share your most intimate thoughts with God... That you're ready to do it. That your heart is in that right place. So in this church, we do things differently a lot of times. Uh, What we have done is say, we're not going to tack it onto the end of a service. We're going to put it in a whole different time. In the evening, at some point, and it's not going to be every week necessarily, but it's going to be when we're ready to do it, when the season calls for it, and there's several times during the year where we do it, we're going to have people come so that you don't come by mistake. Like, oh, I showed up to the service. I didn't know you were doing this. We're not there to do that. We do it and say, if you want to come to communion, come to communion on Tuesday night. That means you've got to get up out of your chair and you're warm from your warm house, and you got to decide, I'm going to go do that on a snowy and cold night <laughs> or on a hot, blazing day, uh, whatever it is, got to say, I'm deciding I'm going to go there. And why do we do it? Because Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. All right? So Jesus set forth the tone and said, do it. So we keep it separate, and we make sure that it's there to remember him. All right, not doing what the Corinthians do. All right, verse number 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night which he was betrayed, took bread. And this is where Paul lets you in on a little bit. He says, God directly gave this experience to me. I received this from God. Okay, we talk about receiving communion, right? Is that we're served communion. The, 
Uh, if we get some gentlemen in the service and we go around and we serve the bread and we serve the cup, okay, we do it on purpose to serve others. But he says, Jesus himself served this one to me. And I know how this goes. So I want you to listen carefully because it's not what you're thinking. It takes much more thought and I want you to make sure you understand because it was that very night, the last night of Jesus' life, that he, Jesus himself, served. Remember, he washed the feet of the disciples. He came and took the bread and he broke it and he handed it around. He took the sop and gave it to Judas. The very night he was betrayed, Satan was in the room himself. Sin and evil was all around, and the world was about to turn upside down on its head, and Jesus, in all purpose, serves communion, closeness to his friends. So it doesn't matter what's going on in the world around. Jesus says, you you do this to remember me. Do this to remember me. That night he took the bread. Verse 24. And when he had given thanks, that's Jesus, he said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner, he also took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the new testament, or the new promise, in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often... As you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. All right? He doesn't say you need to do this every third Tuesday of the fourth month, or every week, or every night. But he says, as often as you do it, do it to remember me. Come with the right heart in mind. Come with the right heart ready to do it. And when are we supposed to quit? When Jesus comes. So let's keep going, right? That's what he said. Do this to show my death until I come again. When I come again, oh, it's going to be a, an amazing. We, we talk about the New Testament. You'll see we're going to have an amazing dinner. And I can, you can bet that there will be all sorts of intimate, personal things that God has directly for each of us. All right. We will sit around that table and we will see things more clearly than we've ever seen. So until he comes again, that's when we do it. Verse number 27, as Paul continues, Wherefore, so, uh, wherefore whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So there's a way to do it wrong. There's a way not to approach this correctly. So be aware. This is his warning. So how do we do it? Verse 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So you can do it wrong. You can do it unworthily, okay, like Paul uses the words, but don't just do it to do it. 
If you're going to come and do this in remembrance of Christ, make sure you come with your heart ready to look at yourself. Don't look at everybody else and what they did or didn't do. Look at yourself. And that's the intimate sharing that we have with God. That's the communion. The part of that where we say, we, in our church, we say, let's bow our heads silently. Don't look at the people around you. This is not about them. This is about you and the Lord. Make this clear that there is something intimate going on between you two. Understand what it is. See yourself for who you are. Let God show you yourself and your own faults. All right? This is the most important thing. If you don't think you have any faults, maybe you should back off a little bit. All right? And this is where it is a serious thing. In verse number 31, let's continue. For if we would judge ourselves... We should not be judged. But when you are judged, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. All right? Very carefully it says, if you want to be judged by God, then don't judge yourself about anything. But if you want to be careful and go back to the Lord and say, look, I, I know I can get this right. And yes, I've done this a hundred, maybe a thousand, maybe ten thousand times in my life. And I seem to just keep falling and falling and falling. And all I know to do is come back to you, God. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how to do anything. But I can just tell you that this is what I see of myself. Those are the intimate starting conversations with God. And what God will do, kindly, gently, firmly at times will guide you to the next step he wants you to see. Sometimes it's one little thing. Sometimes it's a whole life change. Oftentimes it's a step at a time. And he gives you one thing and says, listen to that and obey that. And that's where those intimate thoughts and conversations that we have with God, that's where it's real. Because you can't have that conversation with anybody else. Nobody knows how to fix what's wrong in your heart except Jesus himself. That's why he says, do this. Remember my sacrifice. I died for you on the cross. I shed the blood for you. Come back to me. Judge yourself. Make sure you know what you're doing wrong before you look at anybody around you. And come to me. And I'll tell you, when you, when you judge yourself, it's much easier to forget everybody else's faults. Just keep your eyes on yourself and say, here's, here's what I got. I can't say anything to anybody. I just got to keep my head and see what God can do. And let God, let me focus on God. Now, when you don't do this, and I skipped the verse on purpose, and I will go back. Because when you don't examine yourself, when you come in and have the wrong thoughts about communion, Paul gives some very stern warnings. We're going to read them, and it's a little shocking. Let's go back to verse 29, and we're going to read, reread 29 and go through. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. 
For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep, or that is, died. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Consequences, Paul says, are pretty amazing, pretty shocking. People are sick and weakly, and some have even died. Now, when you look at that and you say, well, God doesn't seem to be killing people in communion services any time that I've seen. But I think you need to understand something and think about something. I'll give you a little food for thought on this. The most debilitating, agonizing, paralyzing thing in this life is a guilty conscience. It plagues you day and night. Pains come and go. The physical things of this world come and go. But that eats you alive inside. It leaves nothing left. A guilty conscience brings fear and anxiety, worry. It wears on our bodies and our minds. And it limits and takes away our power to achieve anything. Sometimes people are so filled with anxiety they cannot even leave their own homes. It is one of the leading causes of death in this world today, is anxiety. It drives people. So if you can begin with a free conscience, you begin with freedom in your life. Even if you have a debilitating physical disease, there is freedom in forgiveness. There is freedom in going to God and being intimate with him and saying, this is who I am. And I'm asking you to help me. When you have that intimate conversation with God, then you begin to see strength and power when you have direct communion with God, and there's no other way for it. Everything else brings sickness and weakness, and even death. So think about that as something. Now, to finish up, there's something really to have the real communion experience. It's not singing a certain song or doing something in a certain order. It's not saying the right, wor- the right words. But I want to take you, after Jesus died and was resurrected, he was on the road to Emmaus. And you may remember this story. There were two men that walked with him on the road to Emmaus. They had not seen Jesus resurrected. They had heard about all these things, and they heard, you know, the rumors. Yeah, we saw him here, we saw him there. And they're like, are these people crazy? What's going on with it? And Jesus joins up with them and walks because he knows he's part of that conversation. And as he's walking along, uh, he begins to open up the whole scriptures, which must have been an amazing conversation. From the beginning, probably all the way from Genesis, and talks about 
all of the things he has fulfilled. And when they finally get to Emmaus, they stop because they get in front of their house. And they say, Jesus, I want you to come in. He said, no, no, I've got to go on. No, we, we want you to come. You've got to stay here. You've got to stop and at least eat with us. I'm really, you know, I got other things I got to go do. No, no, really, we, we, we insist you have to stay here. And so he agrees, comes in, and they serve up bread. And there is Jesus with that hot bread, and you can imagine him. And he looks, and he says a blessing, and they still don't know who he is. They have not gotten it. And as he tears apart that bread, all of a sudden something triggers in their mind, in their heart, in their soul, in their spirit, whatever, and they know it's him. And he's gone. And they start to talk to each other, and they say, hey, you remember when he said that? Didn't our hearts burn inside of us when he said those things? I mean, that is God's spirit going in and touching you in places that no one else can do. No, no other being in all the universe can touch you like God's spirit can and can make your heart burn inside of you, spur you to do things you've never done, help you to understand things about yourself, about your own sins, about where you should be in life, about what you should have done, about how God loves you, about how he gives you a new chance and a new hope. And all of those things he rolls up in a personal conversation to you when you seek him. And like I said, he said, no, nah, no, nah, i, I got to keep going. No, no, we want you here. If you insist that Jesus is in your experience, if you insist upon having him in this place, and you insist upon, hey, when we are having communion, we want you right in the middle of it. We want to understand because with, without you, there's no forgiveness. And then we don't have anything. We just got some bread and a cup and what does it matter? But with Christ and his Holy Spirit coming into us and working in us during that experience, it becomes the complete fulfillment of Passover. From beginning to end, Jesus is doing what he planned from the very beginning of that first time when, when he said, hey, I want you to bring a lamb on the 10th of the month. We're going to start something here. We're going to do something amazing. You're going to see it. And so all of this wrapped up without Christ, without insisting that he comes. You come here. I want you here. I want you here in every service. I want you here all the time. But I want you here to have intimate thoughts with me. I want to share what I've done. And it's not anything I'm proud of, but I want you to be a part of what, I, what what's going on in my life. When you insist and you do it, God will come. And that's when the new covenant becomes real in you. Having that, in, that insistent little part. And what an amazing walk it becomes. And you're going to fall again. And God says, do this in remembrance of me. Keep coming back. Keep doing it. Get back up and keep going. You're going to fall and fall and fall and fall. And guess what? That's the human experience. But you better go back to God. And the sooner you go back to God, the more intimate that you are when you do it, the closer you become 
the more power, the more ability, the more health you have in your walk, in your life. And that's why we talk about Passover. And that's why we get you to the place where you understand there's more to it. Your experience with God. May our hearts burn within us over and over and over again through this life until we're all together, until he comes. Thank you very much. Thank you.